My name's Teddy. I guess I've told you about my condition. Only every time I see ya. <laughs> Come on, I'll buy you lunch. Have I told you about Sammy Jenkins? Mm. Yeah. I'm sick of hearing about the guy. What about John G? You think he's still here? Who? Johnny G, the guy you're looking for. I mean, that's why you haven't left town, am I right? Maybe. Leonard, look, you have to be very careful. Why? The other day, you mentioned that maybe somebody was trying to set you up, get you to kill the wrong guy. Oh, well, I go on facts, not recommendations, but thank you. Lenny, you can't trust a man's life to your little notes and pictures. Why not? Because your notes could be unreliable. Memory's unreliable. Ah, oh, please. No, 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 really. No, Memory's I... not perfect. It's not even that good. Ask the police. Eyewitness testimony is unreliable. That's... The cops don't catch a killer by sitting around remembering stuff. Right. They, they collect know. facts. That's not what I'm they make notes and they draw conclusions. Facts, not memories. That's how you investigate. I know. It's what I used to do. Look, memory can change the shape of a room. It can change the color of a car. And memories can be distorted. They're just an interpretation. They're not a record. And they're irrelevant if you have the facts. You really want to get this guy, don't you? Killed my wife. He took away my fucking memory. He destroyed my ability to live. You're living. Only for revenge. Well, then we'll get the bastard. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 281, Memento. And this is listener request number 31, courtesy of Shane. Thanks for making it easy on us, Shane. <laughs> Although this this is something I think we definitely always were planning to do at some point. Yeah. The listeners have been tough on us this year with Titanic and... JFK and Mulholland Drive. Holy shit. Memento. Yeah. There's a little bit of Mulholland Drive crossover here. You know, it's a puzzle. There's some sort of ominous score. Yeah, this was that time period where the movies were really testing us to see if we could figure them out. Donnie Darko, etc. Oh, yeah. It was definitely part of a, a certain era in not only filmmaking in America, but me personally in watching movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so there's going to be a lot to get to. We're going to try to keep it straight and do what we can. We'll explain that more as we go. But before we talk about Memento, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod, and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like a sticker... Let us know, and we'll send that to you for free. You can hit us up on Twitter for that. And find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. So let's jump into it. Directed by Christopher Nolan. Memento was 
technically released in the year 2000, although I don't think it was really in theaters or anything until 2001. The screenplay was by Nolan, based on a short story by his brother Jonathan Nolan called Memento More, which was technically published after the film was released, so the script was considered original. Hmm. Yeah, it really ends up being like this ultimate gimmick movie, which kind of makes it sound like a negative thing, but it's pulled off like masterfully. I mean, I don't think anything had really attempted to be structured this way, preceding this or following it, really. Yeah, I think gimmick might not be the right word because gimmick implies that it's just a hook for no reason. Whereas I think there's a specific reason why it's shot this way and presented this way. The first and foremost being that it puts the viewer into the same frame of mind as the main character who has this very specific affliction. That's right. But I think that the cool thing about Memento is that it tricks you into thinking that it is a gimmick. That's true, And it tricks you into asking the questions you think you're supposed to ask, which are... Well, how does he know he has this condition? How can he remember that he has this condition? Right. (laughs) Or how can he do this? Or how can he remember that? And those are the questions you think you're supposed to ask. But if you pay attention to everything that Leonard says, especially on the phone and the black and white sequences, and all the words he's saying, it all sort of applies to him, no Uh matter if he's talking about himself and his condition or Sammy Jenkins or anything. And he's talking about absorption of memory and routine and conditioning yourself to remember things and i think that's more what it ends up being about rather than this very specific anterograde amnesia i don't want to spoil what ends up happening in the movie but it it ends up being about how we lie to ourselves and how the games we play with ourselves to make ourselves happy absolutely there ends up being a lot of darkness and sadness to this movie that you kind of feel the whole time Oh, definitely. I think that in a weird way, using the reverse chronological stuff for the color portions of the film ends up being this smokescreen to make you think that one thing and then it it sort of catches you off guard by the end of the movie as to what you actually understand about Leonard and everything. Yeah. Putting all that aside, it just kind of became known as the movie that takes place backwards. Yeah. Yeah. The budget for the film was nine million. The box office was forty million. So it was a pretty big hit. It was nominated for two Academy Awards, including Best Original Screenplay for both Nolans and Best Film Editing for Dottie Dorn. And what can you say that hasn't already been said? Memento announces Christopher Nolan on the scene with authority. It's so inventive and unique. But there is a real substance, too, which I think was all I was trying to say was I think that people who maybe were critical of the film or couldn't get into it would be dismissive of it, sort of thinking that it's just a gimmick. Once you figure out the gimmick, then that's all there is. But I think there's like a a, a real substance to it and a purpose to uh-huh. why it's presented in a certain way. Yeah, I'd love to say that this movie was part of like a cinephile awakening for me because I did see it within whatever the first year that it was out. I remember it was just during a great time in life, one of the last summers where I hadn't I didn't have a job yet, but it was like really one of the last ones. Yeah. Which was just the most amazing time in life. <laughs> Cuz you were just never going to get that back. 
had stars and I remember they were like advertising this and I was seeing Carrie Ann Moss and Joey Pants and I knew them from the Matrix. I'm like, oh, that's weird. They kind of look like trashier versions of the people from the Matrix in this movie. But I had no, like never saw like a trailer on TV like leading up to its theatrical run. Never had a conversation with anybody about this movie, but I did watch it and enjoy it. But I really like, I didn't know who Christopher Nolan was. I mean, it wasn't until years later that I was like, oh, this guy directing these Batman movies was the same guy that directed Memento. Yeah, it would have been pretty unlikely for you to know who yeah, yeah. Nolan was. I had not seen Following. It's not like, oh, I'm now following this guy's career. I didn't know what IMDb was. I don't even know if it existed then. Yet, right, we were probably a little, a too, little yeah. young and inexperienced to, to latch on immediately. But yeah, I saw it very early on on VHS, had no idea what it was. I have to say that it's hard to remember 20 years ago, yeah. but I highly doubt that I even fully understood the movie. I knew that there was a gimmick and a twist, and I kind of felt that sucker punch at the end of the movie, but I don't remember it really dawning on me the whole thing, because it, it, it's a lot to take in your first time, especially when you're just yeah. learning that there are cool movies. Sometime, I don't know, around 08 or 09 or something, Maybe even earlier than that, I bought, they put out that DVD with the cool packaging that was like the case file. Right. And had all the like little clippings and stuff in it. And I, I did rewatch it then, but even watching it to get ready to do this episode, I mean, it had been many a year since I revisited it. I associate that time period with Nolan and Darren Aronofsky. It was probably around this time that I saw Requiem for a Dream for the first time. Oh, gosh. Haunting. A few other. Movies, Almost Famous, etc., that very late 90s, early 2000s, you're just coming off of discovering the indie 90s auteurs, Tarantino, Kevin Smith, whoever was big in the 90s, and then this is sort of the second wave. You have Fincher and PTA and everybody. Nolan comes along at the tail end of that. This is his second film, although the first film was basically a a glorified student film and he's off to the races he does insomnia next with huge movie stars oh yeah then it's off to batman begins and the prestige and the dark knight and he becomes the biggest director of the time and yeah sort of inherits the mantle from steven spielberg as the the guy that makes big movies but are considered good yeah the blockbuster auteur guy Memento tells the story of Leonard Shelby, played by Guy Pearce, a man who suffers from anterograde amnesia resulting in short-term memory loss and the inability to form new memories. He is searching for the man or men who attacked him and killed his wife, using an intricate system of Polaroid photographs and tattoos to track information he cannot remember. By the way, I gotta just say this. A Polaroid camera has to be like one of the best inventions of all time. It seems like it never loses its appeal. Even though it's not peak technology right now, and hasn't been for, probably even by the time they made this movie, I don't think it was anymore, right? I mean, people were on to digital at this point. Eh. Not as much. Whatever. Not a lot of people had digital, probably. Polaroid camera still has a presence. Like, versions of it, you know what I mean? Whether it's this Fujifilm or whatever. People love these things. The medical condition experienced by Leonard in this film is a real condition called anterograde amnesia, the inability to form new memories after damage to the hippocampus. During the 1950s, doctors treated some forms of 
epilepsy by removing parts of the hippocampus resulting in the same memory problems. I think that that's important to note because it seems so weird and it is rare that you may think that what Leonard experiences in the film can't possibly be a real thing or if so it's not accurately presented but I've actually read that a lot of doctors with experience in this field think that this is the closest representation in film to having an affliction like this to which you say wow how do these people live because it just seems it seems like you drive yourself crazy well the thing I was thinking about a lot is that Leonard's life could theoretically be a lot easier with a smartphone. Yes. Because that's going to keep track of what day it is. A lot more photos. And so you can have your notes tagged with dates and times a lot easier. I think he's living in a world in this movie where he wouldn't really know what day it is all the time. The date, I mean. Yeah, yeah. That way you can write down, because your phone is telling you constantly the day and the time, and you can put little reminders in a calendar when you're having your moment of thinking of it Uh and then you've got that and then it'll ding and in other words he creates a system for himself and that's something he harps on at the beginning and something he says he's doing differently than sammy jenkins which is the the prior case that he talks about a lot yeah an iphone would help his system for sure yeah and all of a sudden if you have this constant reminder to do things and it i think that the way we live now, I think a lot of people probably carry on their lives similar to Leonard. Yeah, <laughs> They well, don't really know what's going on, and then their phone bails them out. I was about to say, man, wouldn't it be wild to live like the first 30 years of your life, retaining like most of it, and then everything that happened after was nothing? And I was like, wait, that kind of is like my life. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I'm Mr. Shelby from 304. Right, what can I do for you, Leonard? Um, Bert. Bert. I'm not sure. I think I may have asked you to hold my calls. You don't know? Well, I think I may have. I'm not too good on the phone. Right. You said you like to look people in the eye when you talk to them. Yeah. yeah. You don't remember saying that. Well, that's the thing. I have this condition. A, a condition? It's my memory. Amnesia? No, 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 no. It's different from that. I have no short-term memory. I know who I am. I know all about myself. I just... Since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades. If we talk for too long, I'll forget how we started. And next time I see you, I'm not going to remember this conversation. <laughs> I don't even know if I've met you before. So if I seem a little strange or rude or something, uh, I've told you this before, haven't I? Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to mess with you, but it's so weird. You don't remember me at all. No. We've talked a bunch of times. I'm sure we have, yeah. What was the last thing you remember? My wife. What's it like? It's like waking. It's like you just woke up. That must suck. That's all backwards. I mean, maybe you get an idea about what you want to do next, but you don't remember what you just did. On the surface, Memento is ostensibly about memory and time, two recurring themes in Nolan's work, but if you dig a little deeper, you'll find that the film is just as much about control and agency. It's all an illusion, especially for Leonard, who has convinced himself that he relies on facts rather than memory, because memories can be unreliable. But the dark heart of the truth is that Leonard, much like every other person, is well-practiced at self-deception, 
except in his case, self-deception is much more potent thanks to his condition. All of his quote-unquote evidence is just as unreliable as anything else, maybe even more so thanks to the cyclical world that Leonard has crafted with no intention of ever escaping. And if you pay attention throughout the film, he constantly harps on this idea that memory is unreliable and he goes by facts. But then when you watch him acquire his facts, he's so influenced by what's happening in the moment. Uh, Yeah, I was going to bring this up at some point. Facts? His facts seem very fluid. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) These facts change, so I mean, therefore it's not a fact. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. He's living in a fantasy world. Right. (laughs) The film's non-linear narrative is presented as two different sequences of scenes interspersed during the film, a series in black and white that is shown chronologically and a series of color sequences shown in reverse order, simulating for the audience the mental state of the protagonist. The two sequences meet at the end of the film, producing one complete and cohesive narrative. Now, I think the first time I ever saw this, like the black and white stuff, obviously by the end of the movie you get it, but it almost feels like it's not this, like it's something further in the past. Yeah, I think that's probably just because you inherently go there right. with black and white. That's what you think. Yeah, yeah. But just like so many other things that are a little bit different or a little more complicated, Memento rewards multiple viewings and you can of sort course. of pick yeah. it up and start piecing it together. There's a chart on Wikipedia that literally color codes all the different scenes and has all these things. It's very complicated and it helps to a certain extent. And there's various DVD extras where you can mess around and get it to play in chronological order. Okay. And I think yeah. you can watch it on YouTube or something. I'm not really a huge fan of that. Yeah. Because what's the point? I think there's a reason why it's presented the way it is, and then that's just how it is. But honestly, yeah, go with your gut. Go with your feelings with the movie. You don't need to understand how everything fits chronologically. That is not that important if you get the basic ideas, the big ideas that the story is trying to convey. I think if you watch it a couple times in a row, you start to get where everything goes chronologically. I'd say so, yeah. But there's things more important than figuring out every single detail of those kind of things. I think once you lock onto the yeah. the larger ideas, you're good. I guess like every cut segment is kind of like its own little puzzle, at least for like the stuff that's working its way back. But a lot of it is inconsequential. Like, every time you do one, you're like, how did we get here? And then you see how we got here. And it doesn't really matter that much. Like, there's a lot of details being thrown at you that don't actually alter things that much. But it's a mystery while you're in the preceding segment. The film's subject matter was conceived of when Christopher Nolan was joined by his brother Jonathan on a late summer cross-country road trip as Christopher was moving to Los Angeles and Jonathan had time before returning to his studies at Georgetown to spend time with his brother and help with the move. By the time they arrived in L.A., the entire screenplay had been stated out loud between the brothers. This would have been in July of 96, I believe. After he makes the following, Nolan pitches this idea around. New Market is willing to go to $9 million for a budget. Wow. Originally, that's pretty good. Brad Pitt was going to play the lead. You can see that. Eventually, he had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts, although I think it would have been really cool if Brad Pitt was in this movie. Same. Aaron Eckhart and Thomas Jane were also in consideration for Leonard. 
I think that Guy Pierce ends up being a great choice, whether that is luck or whatever, but he yeah. ends up doing it. He's recognizable, but not a star. He doesn't overpower the film at all. And at no point in his career did he go on to be like an overpowering movie star or anything like that. But at this point, people knew him from LA Confidential and things like that. But I have to say that while his performance never blew me away initially, watching it yeah. essentially three times for this podcast, you start to pick up on a lot of subtleties and a lot of things that he does. He brings a great presence to it. You totally buy the bluff. You know what I mean? Like you're in a situation, you're not really sure what's happening, yeah. but you're kind of like pretending like you do. You 100% can see that. Yeah, I think that the subtleties are there and you understand that there's a, a level to this performance that you may not notice the first time around because you're so confused by what's going on right. in general. Carrie Ann Moss was cast hot off of The Matrix. Mary McCormick lobbied hard for the part but didn't get it. Oh, wow, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. Carrie Ann Moss suggested her co-star from The Matrix, Joe Pantoliano. Just great at these kind of slime ball type roles. He's perfect for the part. I know that yeah. it almost went to Dennis Leary. I think this movie would be considerably worse off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was never really a big Dennis Leary fan as an actor, and I just think that Joey Pants is perfect for Dude, this. It's his mannerism, but it's also just like the voice, too. Yeah. And he does bring that baggage, but I think the baggage works. Oh, totally. Because People are used to him playing scummy characters and... He's a mystery and, a, and an enigma. And the way the movie kicks off, yeah. you already know his fate. Right. So then trying to figure out and piece it all together, I think it all works. And then it builds to a conclusion in the film where he's telling us the truth about things, but yeah. we're not sure what to believe anymore. Right, because big piece of it is all of the characters in this movie are pretty bad. So it's like our lead character, his narrative is certainly unreliable because of his condition. But you're not really sure if you can trust any of those other people either. At Sundance, Memento had trouble securing American distributors, even though most executives loved the film and were blown away by Nolan's obvious talent. Everyone believed it would be too confusing to make money. Steven Soderbergh championed the film in many interviews and events, but still there was no distributor. New Market decides to do it themselves, which at the time was a big risk because it was going to be an investment of a lot more money, but oh, yeah. it actually paid off for them. I think later Harvey Weinstein tried to buy it from them after the fact, after he'd already passed on it, but you know they didn't sell it to him. Mm -hmm. Watching the movie this week, there was a feeling of nostalgia that washed over me. I think part of it was the score of the film, which isn't that unique or different, no. but it just reminded me of something. But also the joy of discovering films like Memento in a pre- social media age yeah where you could go to your video store and rent this or catch it on stars and have no idea what it was about and be blown away because there wasn't even a buzz in the same way that there is now where if this movie came out now even if you didn't have it spoiled on twitter you'd have people saying don't let anyone spoil oh, memento yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then you're expecting something to right. happen yeah yeah whereas you watch this it's the hot thing on blockbuster shelves they have 15 copies you're like what is this you rent it you have no idea right and then it, it's a movie that's fucking backwards <laughs> there were a lot of things like that it wasn't just 
confusing movies like Donnie Darko or movies with a big twist like Fight Club. It could be, is this movie real or not? Like The Blair Witch Project. Or it could be a, a crazy ending like Seven or something. You know, whatever it was, before social media existed, you went into these things a lot blinder than we do now. Yeah, yeah. And there's something fun about that that is definitely Dude, missing. totally. When I fired this up, like I didn't remember the score really being any part of this for what was memorable about this movie. And it's, I guess it's really not through a lot of it, but when it kicks into the opening credits and it's kind of like this neo-noir synth music, yeah. I was like, hell yeah. It kind of has a similar feel to like that Mulholland Driver, a Lynch type score. Christopher Nolan addresses the question some people have about how long Lenny can keep hold of certain memories. He says, quote, he can keep things in mind as long as he pays attention. So depending on how much is being thrown at him, that time span can vary. Nolan also states that throughout the middle of the film, while numerous things are happening, Lenny's memory gets shorter and shorter. To reiterate how memory changes things, some overlapping shots between two loops used different takes while others used the same exact shot. So... To explain what that means, Nolan himself refers to each scene as a loop. Uh-huh. And we always start at a certain point, and then in the next loop, we figure out how we got to that starting point. Yeah. And there's always a little bit of overlap. Yeah, and that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. They sometimes would use different takes right. in the overlaps so that things wouldn't be exactly the same. Gotcha, yeah. To reiterate how memory can sort of change and evolve and be unreliable. The narrative jumps... 113 times from one period in the story to another. The first scene of the movie is the end of the story, and the story actually begins in the middle of the movie when Leonard meets Sammy Jenkins. Technically, you could say that there's some other flashbacks of him working that job that yeah, yeah. predate him meeting Sammy Jenkins, but we could just say he meets Sammy Jenkins, and then that's chronologically the, the first stu- thing right. that happens. The oldest, yeah. The loops also often end with a distinct sound. So it might be banging on something or keys or a gunshot or whatever. And that connects the, the sequences. I was noticing that more on this most recent viewing. If you pay attention, the camera is always a little closer to Lenny than it is to the person he is speaking with. This is another way of getting the audience into Lenny's head without using first person shots. Okay. So, The specifics of the timelines. Uh The film is structured with two timelines. Color sequences are alternated with black and white sequences. The latter are put together in chronological order. The color ones, though shown forward, except for the first one, which is shown in reverse, are ordered in reverse. Chronologically, the black and white sequences come first. The color sequences come next. The way we're going to discuss the film is a little bit unconventional for how we usually do things we're going to talk about the beginning as the beginning and we're going to talk about the end as the end Uh but in the middle we're going to go through the black and white stuff first and sort of summarize it because it is important but i don't want to have to constantly jump back and forth that just is not going to work yeah required some thought as to how this episode was going to be handled then we're going to do the color sequences the way they're presented in the film so that will be confusing and that is (laughs) unlike anything we've ever attempted to try to talk about but then we'll also summarize to a certain point in chronological order when we get to the end and then we'll 
the end is sort of its own thing. So we'll kind of play it by ear, I, I guess. One thing that I'd like to address that we do on this show a lot is pull coals and things because it's just fun conversationally to do. But there's just so many that you could do in this movie if you were like approaching like how the hell because it's just with this condition it just opens the door to so many things but i think it's just part of it some you just have to accept but then also on a bigger level i think things not really making sense is part of where you're heading yeah that's what i meant when i said that the film tricks you into asking the questions that you think are important but the questions really are about conditioning yourself and what actually is going on with leonard because he is capable of some things that don't seem like he should be capable of and your first thought would be well that seems like an oversight and that's not all adding up and making sense but i think that his condition though real i'm not suggesting it's Uh not real in the movie is a little more complicated than what he says it is and he is more aware of things that he's done over time and he has built himself to be yeah able to learn through repetition and conditioning and remembering things. But then the the twist of the movie uh-huh. is like what he's used that for. And I think it's clear just in the black and white sequences how coherently he's explaining stuff that's post the incident. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The biggest one for me that I, I just struggle with with the way this condition is presented is how he can ever remember where he's going when he's driving somewhere. Yeah. That seems like it would be a challenge. <laughs> like you'd constantly be like, wait, where the hell am I going? Which I already kind of do without this condition. <laughs> yeah, because as Nolan says, it's basically if he's able to focus and pay attention, he can remember a little longer. But you would think that driving, especially in Los Angeles, you're going to zone out yeah, yeah. in traffic. And then all of a sudden, you don't even know where you're headed. I think some of that stuff... For the sake of moving a movie along, uh-huh. you just have to believe that he's writing a note you and, just and putting it on the steering wheel or whatever. Sum it up that it's all part of the system. Yeah, he's, he's got, got this a system into for system. driving yeah. that somehow works. The film opens with a Polaroid photograph of a dead man. As the sequence plays backward, the photo reverts to its undeveloped state, entering the camera before the man is shot dead. It goes by very quickly, but... Obviously, when you watch it more than once, or if you're super paying attention, you know that this is Joe Pantoliano, and he's going to be playing Teddy. But like I said, it's very quick. This isn't a build-up scene. I'm very interested in the Teddy backstory that we don't get to see. Yeah, and I think Nolan was too. Yeah. And he sort of references that. He wanted it to feel as if there's something else going on that you're never really sure with Teddy, and he just shows up. And Yeah, yeah. The movie is intricate. And engaging enough that you may forget this opening by the end of the story, or at least some of it. Well, they throw so much at you. Yeah. I think the first time you watch it, especially if you're not used to anything a little bit non-linear, you're going to be baffled at a certain point. Baffled, but I think the end still lands at least. You might not get it all, Yeah, but it still lands and you get what happened and what he did. That's the opening. So, like I said, we're going to do things a little bit unconventionally. We're going to focus on the black and white sequences first. As these are shown chronologically, they're actually split in between the color scenes. They're pretty brief, though. I think we can get an overall idea of what's going on. You really need a system if you're going to make it work. 
You kind of learn to trust your own handwriting. That becomes an important part of your life. You write yourself notes and where you put your notes, that also becomes really important. You need like a jacket that's got like six pockets in it, particular pockets for particular things. You just kind of learn to know where things go and how the system works. And you have to be wary of other people writing stuff for you that is not going to make sense or is going to lead you astray. I mean, I, I don't know, I guess people try and take advantage of somebody with this condition. If you have a piece of information which is vital, writing on your body instead of on a piece of paper, can be the answer. It's just a permanent way of keeping a note. We're introduced to Leonard Shelby. He's a former insurance investigator. He's in a motel room. He's speaking to an unseen and unknown caller. I think there are enough context clues for you to understand that he's always talking to Teddy. But that's never really revealed. But that's essentially what you can make of it. Uh You later see his phone number on the Polaroid, and Leonard's fingers are sometimes lingering over those numbers on the phone. It's actually the same phone number as Marla Singer in Fight Club. Oh. Which I think is intentional. There's a little bit of a a thing going on with some filmmakers supporting each other in this time period. I like the narrative that Teddy pushes later that it's just some cop who thinks it's funny. Yeah, it's him. (laughs) No, I know, but like, (laughs) I like when he's saying that it's like this other dude who thinks it's just funny. Leonard has anterograde amnesia and is unable to store recent memories, the result of an attack by two men. Leonard explains that he killed the attacker who raped and strangled his wife, Catherine, but a second man clubbed him and escaped. The police did not accept that there was a second attacker, but Leonard believes the attacker's name is John G. or James G. Christopher Nolan mentions during the scene where Lenny is discovering his tattoos that the more obvious way to play it would be total surprise, but as he notes, that wouldn't be true to what the film says about memory. Quote, what the film says is that you can take on knowledge unconsciously through repetition, through habit. The same angle on this unconscious knowledge is seen later in the film in Stephen Tobolowsky's performance, particularly in the scene where Sammy's wife gives him his final test. Right. Christopher Nolan brings up the question people have about how Lenny knows he has a condition if he has no short-term memory. According to Nolan, the film presents a theory on memory that information can be absorbed in various ways. He wanted to present a number of different ways in which Lenny absorbed such information. And I think that's more of the, I've watched this movie a couple of times Definitely. take, is that you start to understand there's more than just this gimmick and, right. like, oh, this doesn't make sense. How does he know he have a condition? It's like... Well, I think that's sort of what the movie's about. Yeah. But the initial Sammy Jenkins stuff is sort of setting out to disprove that. Yeah, but I think that it's possible to take the Sammy Jenkins thing as completely unreliable. Right, I agree. No, I, I, I agree. But I feel like that throws you off balance. Yes. Leonard investigates using notes, Polaroid photos, and tattoos to keep track of information he discovers. Leonard recalls Sammy Jenkins, another interior grade amnesiac from his insurance industry days. So Stephen Tobolowsky plays Sammy, mm-hmm. and Harriet Sansom Harris plays Sammy's wife. Harriet Sansom Harris steals the show, I would go so far as to say, oh, yeah. in Licorice Pizza. That's right. One of the funniest scenes in a long time. <laughs> it's actually a weird coincidence that I've been watching random X-Files episodes, oh. and she appears in a early one called Eve 
that I just put on right after finishing this movie the other day. How about by that? accident? Okay. Where she clones herself. There's actually a different X Files episode named Memento More, which is the name of the short story. Oh, interesting. But it came out before this. It was in the nineties. Gotcha. Thomas Lennon plays the doctor in the flashbacks. He also played a doctor in The Dark Knight Rises. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering if it was the same guy, possibly. Yeah, that's right. The guy that is like the hotel worker or whatever is also in Batman Begins. Mark Boone Jr. Yeah. You say we talked before? I don't remember that. Yeah, but it's not amnesia. I remember everything up until my injury. I just can't make new memories. So I can't remember talking to you. What did we talk about? Oh, Sammy Jenkins. I guess I tell people about Sammy to help them understand. Sammy's story helps me understand my own situation. Well, Sammy wrote himself endless amounts of notes, but he got mixed up. I have a more graceful solution to the memory problem. I'm disciplined and organized. I use habit and routine to make my life possible. Sammy had no drive, no reason to make it work. Me? Yeah. I got a reason. I'd just become an investigator when I came across Sammy. Mr. Samuel R. Jankus. Strangest case ever. You know, the guy's a 58-year-old, semi-retired accountant. He and his wife had been in this car accident. Nothing too serious. But he's acting funny. He can't get a handle on what's going on. The doctors find some possible damage to the hippocampus. Nothing conclusive. But Sammy can't remember anything for more than a couple of minutes. Can't work. Can't do shit. The medical bills pile up, his wife calls the insurance company, and I get sent in. Now, this is my first big claims investigation, so I really check into it. Can I get you some Sammy can think just fine, fine, but he can't make any new memories. He can only remember things for a couple of minutes. He'd watch TV, but anything longer than a couple of minutes was too confusing. He couldn't remember how it began. I like commercials. They were short. Sammy, it's time for my shot. The crazy part was, that this guy, who couldn't even follow the plot of Green Acres anymore, could do the most complicated things as long as he learned them before the accident and as long as he kept his mind on what he was doing. Now, the doctors assure me that there's a real condition called anterograde memory loss or short-term memory loss. It's rare, but legit. But every time I see him, I catch this look. This slight look of recognition. But he says he can't remember me at all. Sammy, it's okay. Now, I can read people. And I'm thinking, bad actor. So now I'm suspicious. And I'll order more tests. Sammy couldn't pick up any new skills at all. But I find something in my research. Conditioning. Sammy should still be able to learn through repetition. It's how you learn stuff, like riding a bike. You just get better through practice. It's a completely different part of the brain from the short-term memory. So I have the doctors test Sammy's response to conditioning. Just pick up any three objects. That's a test? Hey, where were you guys when I did my CPA? Sorry. Ta-da. Oh! What the fuck? It's a test, Sammy. We'll test this, you fucking quack. Some of the objects were electrified. That gave him a small shock. They kept repeating the test, always with the same objects electrified. The point was to see if Sammy could learn to avoid the electrified objects, not by memory, but by instinct. They kept testing Sammy for months. 
Always with the same objects, carrying the electrical charge. Oh! What the fuck? It's a test, Sammy. Test this, you fucking quack. Even with total short-term memory loss, Sammy should have learned to instinctively stop picking up the wrong objects. All the previous cases responded to conditioning. Sammy didn't respond at all. It was enough to suggest that his condition was psychological, not physical. We turned down his claim on the grounds that he wasn't covered for mental illness. His wife got stuck with the bills and I got a big promotion. Conditioning didn't work for Sammy, so he became helpless. But it works for me. I live the way Sammy couldn't. Habit and routine make my life possible. Conditioning, acting on instinct. Sammy's wife was crippled by the cost of supporting him and fighting the company's decision. But it wasn't the money that got to her. I never said that Sammy was faking. Listen, I have an idea, Sammy. Sammy, I have an idea. I want you to Just do for me, that his okay? problem was mental, not physical. Have a pen in your pocket, okay? You're gonna have a pen in your pocket. But she couldn't understand. Like in your I did something wrong. You did something wrong. Now we're gonna deal with it. We'll figure out. We're gonna try a little harder. And she looks into his eyes and sees the same person. And if it's not a physical problem, he should just snap out of it. Ellen called. Ellen called. Ellen called. Ellen, Ellen can't call. Okay, Ellen, Ellen I'm so can't sorry. Go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying. I'm sorry. Harder. So good old Leonard Shelby from the insurance company gives her the seed of doubt, just like he gave it to the doctors. But I never said that he was faking. I never said that. All of the dialogue in the black and white sequences that feature Sammy was improvised. There was actually nothing written, which I thought was pretty cool because those scenes are actually pretty effective. I think so. And affecting. Originally, the entire Sammy Jenkins story was told in one scene. However, Christopher Nolan felt the story and the Sammy Jenkins character was so important that it needed to be spread out over the course of the film's middle section. Uh huh. After tests confirmed Sammy's inability to learn tasks through repetition leonard believed that his condition was at best psychological and even perhaps faked and turned down his insurance claim sammy's distraught wife repeatedly asked sammy to administer her insulin shots for her diabetes hoping he would remember and stop himself from giving her a fatal overdose however sammy continued to administer the injections and his wife died does seem insane that this would be rejected through the insurance process. <laughs> it seems like there's something up here. Yeah, well, it goes to show you that insurance has always been a scam. It's a cold world out there. <laughs> but of course, it's the idea of this whole Sammy Jenkins thing is playing into like this. It's almost this moment, at least taking everything at face value. It's like Leonard's tragic flaw almost that he didn't believe this guy and then ends up getting the same condition. Yeah. The true story of Sammy Jenkins proves to be somewhat elusive, and right. we ultimately have to take the word of someone that we're not sure if we can trust later in the film. But, but I think we both agree that we do take his word. For most of it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not sure if he even knows, because he's only well, taking that's true. that secondhand information. Right, because if we are to believe his backstory, he's come into the mix after Sammy Jenkins. Right. So the specifics are... Sort of a mystery, but ultimately, once the truth is revealed of the story, I think you can glean enough information to understand what the point of it is and and put that all together. The color sequences are longer and are shown reverse chronologically, 
For this section, we're going to try and stay true to the film for the most part, just to present it as it is in the film. And We pick up with Teddy arriving at the motel where Leonard is staying. It's the discount inn. We already know that Leonard kills this man, if you're paying close That's enough right. attention. Yeah. By the way, some really cool hotels in this movie. <laughs> sort of a loose definition yeah. of the word cool. <laughs> It seems like some shady deals happening at the various hotels of this movie. Leonard uses Polaroids for identifications of people, for his car, to remember which car is his, the motel where he's staying. He has a whole system to keep himself organized, and he believes in it, which is also part of the foolhardy nature of this character, where he convinces himself that this system is foolproof, even though we know that it it can't possibly be. Yeah, yeah. How much money on Polaroid film being spent? There's a lot of potential for continuity craziness in this film, especially since everything's being presented in reverse chronological order. But paying attention to some of the continuity is what makes it fun, even the first time you're watching it. How did this scratch get here? How did this happen to the car Uh window, et cetera, et cetera? Piecing that all together. And that's sort of part of telling this specific story. But... In terms of the continuity of things that don't matter, that was a headache for everyone involved with this uh, film. Yeah, I'm sure. Teddy and Leonard drive together to an abandoned building. A truck is already there. Teddy dismisses it, saying it's been there for a long time. Yeah. Tracks, what are you, Pocahontas? <laughs> On Teddy's Polaroid, it says, Don't believe his lies. He is the one. Kill him. It leads to them going inside him knocking Teddy down. He believes he is the man that he's been searching for, John G, because Teddy's real name is John Gamble. Uh-huh. During Teddy's line, you don't have a clue, you freak, director Christopher Nolan felt that Joe Pantoliano did not quite nail the end of the line, so he decided to re-record the last two words to his liking, delivering them himself. Therefore, in the final film, the words, you freak, as we hear them, are actually being said not by Pantoliano, but by Nolan impersonating Pantoliano's voice. Holy shit. Something that Pantoliano was unaware of until after the fact. Yeah. So Leonard shoots Teddy, and we understand instinctively that we're in a puzzle. How do we get to this point? Especially when you consider Teddy's jovial nature and his lack of fear. Yeah. This seems to be totally unexpected that this was happening. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Teddy seems slimy the whole time, but there is this sort of like endearing quality too with his bizarre friendship with Leonard. Yeah, that's one of the things that I can't really decide how I feel about. Because is the... Teddy, a hundred percent scummy and evil, or was he helping Leonard and then decided to just sort of cash in for himself a little bit? We know he's a corrupt cop and yeah. everything, but how evil is he? Unclear. I don't know. Hanging out with Leonard, it seems like there's a lot of room for... Obviously, Leonard's always like in a state of mistrust. But yeah. Lenny is always like rolling with the punches, even if Lenny's acting sort of... Teddy. Oh, sorry. Teddy's always just sort of rolling with the punches, even if Lenny's kind of like not really being nice to him. Yeah, it seems like you can get past the initial awkwardness with Leonard, and then he actually starts to trust people too easily. Yeah. There's that initial confusion, and then 
if you're taking it from the fact that he all he's doing is looking at a Polaroid and saying, "Okay, this is Teddy. This is a friend." But there's no yeah, yeah, indication as to anything else, and then he's willing to go along all the time with these different things and. But Teddy's also always giving him reasons to mistrust too, like getting the jag from him. <laughs> Bert is the guy who works at the discount inn, played by Mark Boone Jr. He's actually checked Leonard into two different rooms to take advantage of his condition. Uh-huh. It's a weird and interesting moment that very early in the film, Bert says to Leonard, it's all backwards. Yeah, yeah. Basically laying it out. It's all exhausting, repetitive, but it's not like Leonard remembers anyway. But for everyone else, it can get very exhausting and repetitive. Tough. Yes. Everything has to be so disorienting. It's as if Leonard is waking up or just coming to in various strange places around people he doesn't know and having to piece it all together every step of the way. In an envelope from someone named Natalie, Leonard is provided information on Teddy, revealing his full name to be John Edward Gamble. The information also provides a license plate number that matches what he has tattooed on his body. Leonard uses the information and his tattoos to conclude that Teddy is the man he is looking for, and that's when he adds, he is the one, kill him to the back of the Polaroid. So yeah. again, we're seeing everything in reverse. This is a new loop. This all plays into it, of course. But the idea that it's, I just have this out-of-context license plate and it happens to be this guy that's hanging around me. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> right. He is able to manipulate himself into believing these are facts, but they're yeah. not facts. They're nothing. Right, right. There's never a question of where did he get the license plate from. In fact... Every fact he has, right. even the ones yeah. that predate this movie, we're not sure where he got this from. He has this police report that he was given, but there's stuff redacted and stuff missing. Several pages missing. And the police didn't believe there was another guy anyway, so in that police report, it's not going to say white male. Yeah, yeah. And by the end of the movie, I don't really know that there was a second guy. Yeah, that part of it is never really yeah. fully explained. In the next loop, we actually meet Natalie, played by Carrie Ann Moss, in the diner. Her lip is cut, and she's got a black eye. This conversation between Leonard and Natalie touches on this bigger existential idea. Does remembering his wife's vengeance make it any more or less meaningful? Is the vengeance for him, or does the vengeance just exist in a vacuum? I guess is the bigger existential question. Yeah. Is the point of vengeance to remember that you did it, or just to have done it. Today, 1 p.m., meet Natalie for info. She has also lost someone. She will help you out of pity. Natalie. You don't remember me. I'm sorry, I should have explained. I have this... You did explain, Lenny. Please call me Leonard. My wife called me Lenny. Yeah, I know, you told me. Well, then I probably told you how much I hated it. Yeah. Do you mind taking your glasses off? It's hard for me to... Thanks. So you have information for me? Is that what your little note says? Yeah. Must be tough living your life according to a couple of scraps of paper. You mix your laundry list with your grocery list and you'll end up eating your underwear for breakfast. I guess that's why you have those freaky tattoos. Yeah, it's tough. It's almost impossible. Look, I'm sorry I don't remember you. It's nothing personal. 
I do have information for you. You gave me a license plate number. Had my friend at DMV trace it. Guess what name came up? John Edward Gamel, John G. Do you know him? No. But his face on his driver's license looked really familiar. I think he, I think he's been in the bar, maybe. Here's a copy of his license, his registration, photo and all. Are you sure you want this? Have I told you what this man did? Yeah. Well, then you shouldn't have to ask. But even if you get revenge, you're not gonna remember it. You're not even gonna know that it happened. My wife deserves vengeance. Doesn't make any difference whether I know about it. Just because there are things I don't remember doesn't make my actions meaningless. The world doesn't just disappear when you close your eyes, does it? Anyway, maybe I'll take a photograph to remind myself. Get another freaky tattoo. Tell me about her again. Why? Because you like to remember her. She was beautiful. To me, she was perfect. No. Don't just recite the words. Close your eyes and remember her. You can just feel the details. The bits and pieces you never bothered to put into words. can feel these extreme moments, even if you don't want to. You put these together and you get the feel of a person. Enough to know how much you miss them. And how much you hate the person who took them away. added an address in here. It might be useful. It's an abandoned place outside of town. Um, a guy I knew used to do bigger deals there. It's isolated. Sounds perfect. Do I owe you any? I wasn't helping you for money. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. See, you have this condition. <laughs> oh, are you still staying at the discount inn? Room 304, left it at my place. Yeah. <laughs> they treating you okay? I don't remember. <laughs> you know what we have in common? We are both survivors. Chuck Klosterman wrote about this scene in Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, a book that I read 20 years ago and sure. definitely don't remember. Sitting on my shelf right now. Leonard's wife in the flashbacks is played by Georgia Fox, who would go on to be a CSI oh. person and have that career. I was thinking if Nolan made this movie later, this would be the Marion Cotard role. Well, yes. The dead wife, Yeah, of course. A Mall. Nolan trope. Yeah. Gotta be involved here. He was definitely trying to portray not an idealized marriage, but a realistic one. And I think that comes through in some of the flashbacks where they're bickering a little bit. It's not just 
a dreamlike romance. It feels like real people getting on each other's nerves a little bit. Totally. Not that they don't love each other, but it's just real. Oh, yeah. Repeat viewings allow for the viewer to notice suspicious behavior in both Natalie and Teddy, things that you may not pick up on the first time around. But then once you know the truth of these people, you start to see the way they act and the way they talk isn't quite what you would expect from someone being nice. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Or someone on the up and up. The next loop has Teddy and Leonard at a different diner, and Teddy seems concerned Leonard is still in town, hanging around, though it's not revealed why. And this is sort of a recurring thing with Teddy, always wondering why Leonard's still around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But he won't say why. I do think that... If this was all real, yes, and not a movie, and not withholding information from the viewer, that Teddy would be saying different things sometimes. Like, Dude, you killed the guy. You got to get out of town. Yeah, like the heat is on. You don't know what you've done, but we've already. He would just lie to him and say you've already killed someone you thought was John G. Yeah, even if he can't get him to believe that it was John G. Like you can't be around here. And it does seem that when we actually get to that sequence, that. Leonard does things almost to intentionally draw more attention to himself. Yeah, yeah. For unknown reasons. He's doubling down. The next loop begins with Leonard waking up in bed with Natalie. She says she will help Leonard through a friend with the DMV. The back of her Polaroid has something crossed out and then says, she has also lost someone. She will help you out of pity. (laughs) Well, I hope she doesn't see that. She says, I'm helping you because you helped me. And, of course, he has no idea what she's talking about. Christopher Nolan loves how Teddy randomly pops up unannounced as if there's a whole side story that we're not seeing. Teddy already being in the car when Lenny gets in at one point was Joe Pantoliano's idea. And it does seem that we only know a fraction of the Teddy character. We're never given that full scope of what exactly is going on in his life and what he does. He's a crooked cop. It seems like he's setting up situations where he's going to be able to benefit from it. Yeah, and that's like one of the things where you leave off at the end of the movie. Was this the first time that he tried to play that additional money element, or is this something that's recurring? Yeah. It seems like if a whole year has gone by, they've probably yeah. been doing this He's a, done this a in while. a few towns. Which brings us to Dodd. The whole Dodd yeah. loops. The Dodd situation. Which that throws you off a little bit too, and you and I talked about it earlier, because it it seems like the way that he's going to encounter Dodd is different than how it actually happens. Yeah, and then it it throws you for a loop with that weird little interlude that we'll get to in a minute, and it seems almost out of place, because it's not connected to Dodd. Yeah, yeah. Dodd is someone Natalie wanted to be rid of, and Dodd ends up in a closet, duct-taped, blood, Leonard... Is not sure what he's done, but it seems like he's done something to put this guy there because he wakes up. For Leonard, it's always not only what have I done, but why have I done it? Yeah, I can't yeah. remember any of this stuff. <laughs> he can never really be sure, but while memory may be able to shine a light on the what, sometimes it's the why that truly remains a mystery no matter what memory tells us. So this is an instance where the stuff that Leonard says about memory is true and it rings true i think that memory does change and it is elusive sometimes and it can provide the specifics but it's not always going to tell you why certain things happen like you always say it's why eyewitness testimony is unreliable natalie's lost person is jimmy she has a photograph of them together 
he went to meet somebody and never came back is what she says. And then later she says a guy called Teddy. That's right. I don't even know how long she's been gone. It's like I've woken up in bed and she's not here. Because she's gone to the bathroom or something. But somehow I just... I just know she's never going to come back to bed. If I could just reach over and touch her side of the bed, I would know that it was cold. But I can't. I know I can't have her back. But I don't want to wake up in the morning thinking she's still here. I lie here not knowing how long I've been alone. So how, how can I heal? How am I supposed to heal if I can't feel time? It's in one of these sequences with Natalie that we start to understand that notes and photos are fallible too and that Leonard is living in a delusional world that he's created because he's being corrupted by his own emotions. He's Uh having what he thinks is a tender moment with Natalie and that's when he writes those things about her helping him because she's lost someone and that she will help you out of pity. Because he believes it in that moment. But just because he believes it in that moment doesn't mean it's true. And that's what he's failing to understand about these quote-unquote facts. Yeah, well, Natalie puts it all on Front Street for us. So the, the Dodd story is that Dodd ends up finding him. We don't really know why. Natalie tells us that she told Dodd about the car yeah. that Leonard is driving. But the reason she wants rid of him is that he beat her up. Although the viewer, much like... Leonard is not really sure why that would make sense. We don't really know what's going on. Yeah, or what the relationship is. It's all in reverse, so at one point... There's a lot of funny stuff that happens. It's told over a couple of different loops, but first, I want to say, like, getting the jump on a guy is funny because he's he breaks into his hotel room, <laughs> and he's waiting for him in a bathroom. Well, and he's so convicted about it, too. He's like, I'm going to get the jump on him. I'm going to show him, and then immediately forgets why he's there. <laughs> He's sitting in the bathroom, and then he can't remember why he's sitting there, and then he starts taking a shower. <laughs> so then he comes out nude, and he's fighting this guy. Yeah. And then at one point, when Dodd is chasing him with a gun, he forgets what's happening in the middle of the chase, and he thinks he's chasing Oh, I'm chasing Dodd. this guy. Nope, I'm being chased. And then when he gets the jump on Dodd, thanks to Natalie's information, and he shows up at Dodd's motel, which is a different motel... He breaks into the wrong room. That's yeah. And that, kicks the door down. That part's not even like memory though. He's just looking at the sheet upside down. He just says sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think that even when I was watching this for the second and third time this week, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. How does Dodd get involved? Because Natalie tells him to look for Dodd, but it actually ends up happening where Dodd finds him instead. Yeah, which he doesn't actually look for Dodd or right. find Dodd. 
Now, she says that she gave Dodd information, but she never actually went to really see Dodd. We don't know. Okay. It could have happened prior. That's true. When she goes out of the either room way, at one point, yeah, I, she doesn't leave. Either way, I think Dodd is a Jimmy associate. and Well, yeah, but we don't know why yet or what's missing. Right, but would recognize the car either way. There's sort of like a no country for old men yeah, yeah. storyline going on with <laughs> a, a large sum of money. That's right. But, of course, Leonard is oblivious to this. Oh, yeah. He has no idea what's going on. There's a interlude in the film here where he takes some of his wife's stuff out to a deserted place and burns it, and he says, I can't remember to forget you. It's a pretty good line. Yeah, it's a... And that loop connects with a sequence where he hires a prostitute to enact his last memory of his wife, which yeah. is falling asleep and then waking up and closing the bathroom door so that he'll wake up. It's actually like sad because his last memory is when she would get killed, but because of his condition, he's so disoriented when this happens uh-huh. that he he flashes back to it as if he's wondering what's going on. Like he wakes up and he's approaching the bathroom door and he doesn't remember that he's hired this woman to play this out and That's she's right. just sitting in there snorting drugs. Yeah. <laughs> was it good for you? A romantic night. <laughs> Test this, you fucking quack. Well, I was trying to figure out how often something like this had happened. Like, is this actually the stuff that he's burnt? It's been years. Years have passed. You know what I mean? This is the first time he's, like, burning It's been years, but we don't know how many. Yeah, yeah. It could be two years. It's at least... It could be over a year. Yeah, more than one year at, at a minimum. And we don't even know that yet. Well, yeah. Yeah, he does say that he must have done this before. Yeah. But how much of his wife's stuff does he have? We don't know. Well, then I was like, is he just buying stuff, saying that it's a... Mm. <laughs> no. I don't know if he's at that level. Yeah, of... yeah. Because he... I think we have to assume that his condition is real enough. And right, right. he does remember everything before the accident. So th- I, I... He remembers these possessions, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that really wouldn't do much for him at a certain point. Right. We're trying to piece together how this current storyline started, whatever this current storyline is, we have Teddy, Natalie, the discount in, there is a lot of loops that lead to, oh, this is how he started staying at this motel, and this is how he did this. And this, It's not the most exciting stuff that you're finding out. It's just all done backwards. Right. I think they do enough, though, to keep it from getting tedious. Yeah, but... it never feels that he- Like, it never feels heavy. The movie doesn't feel... Cause- you jump between the sequences like quick enough. It's clear though that Teddy doesn't trust Natalie and doesn't want Leonard to and they sort of fight about it, but Teddy won't come out and say what the problem is or what exactly is going on. He's just insinuating that Natalie would use somebody like Leonard, which of course is hilarious because so is he. <laughs> when Lenny writes do not trust her on the back of Natalie's photo at Teddy's urging, He uses a different style of handwriting than everything else he writes. This was deliberate and Guy Pierce's idea, since Lenny would inherently be suspicious of Teddy telling him to specifically write that. This difference in handwriting is an indication to Lenny from himself that it is a message he would later scratch out when Teddy was out of view. So that's why he writes it in that slightly different style. Makes sense. A nice touch. He's got a system. That's right. The two loops that reveal the real Natalie are great moments and it's a real fun dude i know twist and turn here you have 
the reveal of the femme fatale at the center of this noir story where you find out it's like, oh, she's actually an evil bitch, <laughs> and it's so perfect. <laughs> yeah. We learn a lot in these moments, these two conversations. Dodd will find Leonard because she tells him about the car, or at least that's what she says. You don't really know what's going on, but you see her going around collecting the pens. Yeah, yeah. She's preemptively removing handwriting. <laughs> I don't even know why. It's Brilliant. It, she's so evil that yeah. she just wants to tell him. Yeah, yeah. She could just keep it all a secret and just be like, I'm doing this, but I don't need to like say it because yeah. that's the point of that. But she wants to be able to say it to his face. Yeah. And the reveal of how Natalie's face got jacked up. She basically tells Leonard what she's going to do, that she's going to use him, that he won't remember. She calls his dead wife a whore and a cunt. <laughs> yeah, it was a little much. And goes on and on. And then it does inspire a fit of violence from Leonard. What's wrong? Somebody's come already. Who? Calls himself Dodd. What does he want? Wants to know what happened to Jimmy and his money. He thinks I have it. He thinks I took it. Oh, well, did you? No. What's this all about? Uh, you don't have a fucking clue, do you? You're, you're, you're just blissfully ignorant, aren't you? Look, I have this condition. Yeah, I know all about your fucking condition, Leonard. Probably know more about it than you do. You don't have a fucking clue about anything else. What happened? What happened is that Jimmy went to meet some guy named Teddy. He took a lot of money with him and he never came back. Jimmy's partners think I set him up. I don't know if you know this, Teddy, or how well. Neither do I. Don't protect him. I'm not. Help me. How? Get rid of Dodd for me. What? Kill him. I'll pay you. Uh, what do you think I am? I'm not going to kill someone for money. What then? Love? What would you kill for? Kill for your wife, wouldn't you? That's different. Not to me. I wasn't fucking married to her. Hey, hey, don't talk about my wife. I can talk about whoever the fuck I want. I can say whatever I want and you won't remember. I could call your wife a fucking whore and we can still be friends. Calm down. Easy for you to say you can't get scared. You don't know how, you fucking idiot. Take it easy. This has nothing to do with me. Well, maybe it does. How the fuck would you know? You don't know a fucking thing. You can't get scared, but hey, can you get angry? Yes. Oh, you pathetic piece of shit. I can say whatever the fuck I want, and you won't have a fucking clue, you fucking retard. Shut your mouth. You know what? I'm going to use you. I'm telling you now because I'm going to enjoy it so much more if I know that you could stop me if you weren't such a fucking freak. Did you lose your pen? Well, that's too bad, freak. Otherwise, you could write yourself a little note about how much Natalie hates your retarded guts and that I called your wife a fucking whore. Hey, don't say another fucking word. About your whore of a wife? <laughs> your condition, Leonard. You know what one of the causes of short-term memory loss is? Venereal disease. Maybe your cunt of a fucking wife sucked one too many diseased cocks and turned you into a fucking retard. You sad, sad freak. I can say whatever the fuck I want, and you won't remember. We'll still be best friends. Or maybe even lovers. I'll see you soon. Stay focused. Find a pen. I'm gonna write this down. I'm gonna write it down. Concentrate. 
concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. Keep it in mind, keep it in mind, keep it in mind. Come on, I gotta find a pen, I gotta find a pen. I write this down, write this down. Exactly what happened, I'm gonna write down exactly what happened. Come on, come on, come on, I gotta find a pen, Jesus, come on. Come on, keep focused, keep focused. Keep it in mind. Come on, find a pen. Write this down. I'll write down what happened. Write it down. Write it down. Come on, concentrate. Keep it in mind. Find a pen. What happened? What does it look like? He beat the shit out of me. Who? Who? Fuck Leonard Dodd. All of this builds to encountering Natalie at the bar where she works. And then Leonard getting a tattoo of a license plate number. The loop that comes after he first encounters Natalie at the bar where she works is Leonard going to meet a guy named Jimmy Grants. He's a local drug dealer. It turns out he's Natalie's boyfriend. Jimmy G. It's at the tattoo parlor where Teddy spins the story of a second cop, the one that's been calling... Leonard all along and that Teddy's actually an informant for the cops and he just has this whole bullshit story and Teddy's basically trying to encourage Leonard to get out of town and I'm not exactly sure what tips Leonard off but he understands that Teddy's lying and so this is when he first writes do not trust his lies on the the photograph which or no I'm sorry that's already on the photograph Uh, right because he's like so you are full of shit. Yeah. It's confirmation bias, which I think yeah. is a, a big part here. Sort of like condensed some of the Natalie stuff there. Basically, I think when you watch the movie for the first time, you think that Natalie's someone that's been in his life for a while. You feel like all of these people Totally, have. yeah. But then you realize this is all taking place over a couple of days. It is actually just straight up evil genius level right. stuff going on with we Natalie. Actually, I mean, yeah, she's very quick to... Figure this out yeah. and understand that how what it can she be can use for her own benefit. Exactly, because it does seem unbelievable by the time we get there, but we actually are seeing them meet for the first time. Yeah, he pulls up to the bar in this Jaguar. She confuses him for someone else, her boyfriend Jimmy. Whose car it is, yeah. Yeah, we don't know that right. yet. She's confused, and then he comes into the bar, and she's acting hostile towards him. We don't know why, but then... After a quick, disgusting test with spitting in a beer, yes. and then him forgetting that they spit in the beer, and then he, he drinks it. Ugh. The unknown part of the story is how much Leonard was interacting with these people, including Jimmy, the boyfriend, and Natalie, and people around the bar. It seems like people know him and know of his situation, and word has sort of gotten around. They call him Memory Man, the whole thing. Yep, yep. So how long this has all been going on, how long this build-up to this meeting with Jimmy has taken, who knows? Yeah. Well, Teddy has an explanation for why Jimmy knows him as Memory Man, but I also think that that could not be true. And It seems like Leonard is with Teddy a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, who knows? Teddy's been running some whole scam on Jimmy. I think it's very possible Lenny has been around for these things. Or you could look at it like... He hasn't been around Teddy. It's possible too, yeah. Because he takes a picture of him here in a second. That's true. And the true. reason yeah. that he gets built up into this Jimmy thing is over the phone. Yeah. 
that this person's been telling him that's stuff a, over the phone. a possibility too yeah we'll get to that in a second so let's just do a quick cliff's notes of the color scenes chronologically to this point because it's kind of gotten a little confusing yeah. probably <laughs> seriously yes so starting chronologically leonard gets a tattoo of john g's license plate finding a note in his clothes he meets natalie a bartender who resents Leonard because he wears the clothes and drives the car of her boyfriend, Jimmy Grants. After coming to understand Leonard's condition, she uses it to her own advantage. Having him drive a man named Dodd out of town, she offers to run the license plate as a favor. Meanwhile, Leonard meets with a contact named Teddy who helps with Dodd but warns him about Natalie. Leonard finds that he had previously annotated his Polaroid of Teddy, warning himself not to trust him. Natalie provides Leonard with the driver's license for a John Edward Gamble, which turns out to be Teddy's full name. Confirming Leonard's information on John G. and his warnings, Leonard drives Teddy to an abandoned building, leading to the opening scene of the film where Leonard shoots Teddy. So some of that stuff we glossed over. Sure. They drive Dodd out of town. That's how they get out of that when he was in the motel room right. closet and all that shit. Some of that stuff, it's confusing. But that's sort of the chronological order until we get to this ending, which is also the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> totally. In the final black and white sequence prompted by the caller, Leonard meets with Teddy, an undercover officer, who has found Leonard's John G. in the person of Jimmy Grants and directs Leonard to the abandoned building. The thing that you will note here is that when Leonard comes out of his motel room, he's wearing different clothes yes. than he wears throughout the rest of the film, and he gets into a truck and not the Jaguar he totally. drives the rest of the time. I also love when he tries to take the picture of Teddy. <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of like this moment where Teddy's like, no, and you're like, oh, shit. He's being like sketchy or dodgy or whatever, and then he's like, "Take it here, <laughs> like it's like a better angle or something." Yeah, I also appreciate the interchangeability of John G and James G. I know. I was thinking of James Gum. Yeah, from Silence of the Lambs. A John Grant. <laughs> what are his aliases in Silence of the Lambs? Yeah, John and James just being interchangeable is always a fun thing. Right. When Jimmy arrives. At the abandoned building, Leonard strangles him to death and takes a Polaroid photo of the body. As the photo develops, the black and white transitions to color, connecting the two timelines and starting the final color sequence. Jimmy recognizes Leonard, knows him as a memory man. Not really sure what the backstory is leading to this. We can only use the context clues that Teddy has set up some sort of a pretend drug deal, and there's 200K in the back of Jimmy's car. That's right. Which is also the reason why Dodd and Natalie and everyone else will be interested in what the fuck is going on, because <laughs> there's basically 200K missing. Yeah, yeah. And someone's going to have to answer for that. But the cool thing about Memento is that that's never the focus of the film. Totally. So you almost have to sort of figure that stuff out on your own. Yeah, yeah. Because who cares? It's just a drug deal. It's just sitting out there. Leonard swaps clothes with Jimmy, not sure why. I know. While dragging him down to the basement of this building, Leonard hears Jimmy whisper, Sammy, as Leonard has only told Sammy's story to those he has met, he suddenly doubts Jimmy's role in his wife's murder. I don't even want to get into how 
<laughs> Jimmy is whispering Sammy and I know, then also still being dead. dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're supposed to take it like he didn't really whisper it and it's in Leonard's head. Yeah. Because he was just having second thoughts based on it's weird. Jimmy recognizing him. If Jimmy is dead or this is his last dying breath and he's whispering Sammy, <laughs> that's it. Teddy arrives and asserts that Jimmy was John G., but when Leonard is undeterred, Teddy says that he helped Lenny kill the real attacker a year ago and has been using Leonard ever since. So now everything takes on a more interesting dynamic. So is this a drug deal? No. Yeah. Well, yeah. That it- and your thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pantoliano's hilarious in I know. this part. Just so scummy, but yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, mister, I need help. There's a, a guy in here, he's hurt bad. We gotta get him to a doctor. All right. I don't know what happened, though. I've got this memory thing. Do I know you? No, don't worry, I'm a cop. You still breathing? Well, I don't know, maybe. What the hell are you guys doing down here? Well, I don't remember, I have this condition. Well, I hope it's not as serious as his, because this guy's dead. Ow! Buddy! That shit killed! So you remember me now, huh? You are a fucking cop. Yeah, and I'm the guy to help you find him. Get up, get up. Lenny, you got the wrong idea. Who is that? He knew me. Of course he did, he raped your wife, he fucked up your brain. Bullshit, he's not the guy. His name is James F. Grant, John G. Check your tattoos. What was he bringing the 200 grand for? What? What was it for? A load of amphetamines I told him I had. Is this a drug deal? No. Yeah, that and your thing. Look, Leonard, Jimmy's your guy. I just figured we'd make a few dollars on the side. How did he know me? The discount in. He dealt out of there. The guy at the front desk let him know if anybody came snooping around. He called Jimmy the minute he saw you taking a picture of the dump. You're fucking using me. No! You get half! He knew about Sammy. Why would I tell him about fucking Sammy? You tell everybody about Sammy. Everybody will listen. Remember Sammy Jacobs? Remember Sammy Jacobs? Great story gets better every time you tell it. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. Who cares if there's a few little details you'd rather not remember? What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know. Your wife surviving the assault. Her not believing your condition. The torment and and pain and anguish tearing her up inside. The insulin. That's Sammy, not me. I told you about Sammy. Yeah, right. Like you tell yourself over and over again, conditioning yourself to remember, learning through repetition. Sammy let his wife kill herself. Sammy ended up in an institution. Sammy was a con man, a faker. I never said that Sammy was faking. Exposed him for what he was, a fraud. But I was wrong, that's the whole point. See, Sammy's wife came to me. Sammy didn't have a wife. It was your wife who had diabetes. My wife wasn't diabetic. You sure? Ouch. Cut it out. She wasn't diabetic. You think I don't know my own wife? 
the fuck is wrong with you? Well, I guess I can only make you remember the things you want to be true. Like old Jimmy down there. He's not the right guy. He was to you. Come on, you got your revenge. Enjoy it while you still remember. What difference does it make whether he was your guy or not? It makes all the difference. Why? You're never gonna know. Yes, I will. No, you won't. I will. Somehow. I'll you know. won't remember. When it's done, I will know. It'll be different. Well, I thought so too. In fact, I was sure of it, but you didn't. That's right. The real John G. I helped you find him over a year ago. He's already dead. Don't lie to me anymore. Look, Lenny. I was the cop assigned to your wife's case. I believed you. I thought you deserved a chance for revenge. I'm the one that helped you find the other guy in your bathroom that night. The guy that cracked your skull and fucked your wife. We found him. You killed him. But you didn't remember. So I helped you. Start looking again. Looking for the guy you already killed. Oh, yeah? So who was he? Just some guy. I mean, does it even matter who? No reason, Lenny. No conspiracy, just bad fucking luck. A couple of junkies too strung out to realize your wife didn't live alone. But when you killed him, I, I was so convinced that you'd remember. But it didn't stick. Like, nothing ever sticks. Like, this won't stick. I took that picture. Just when you did it. Look how happy you are. I wanted to see that face again. Oh, gee, thanks. Fuck you. I gave you a reason to live, and you were more than happy to help. You don't want the truth. You make up your own truth, like your police file. It was complete when I gave it to you. Who took out the 12 pages? You, probably. No, it wasn't me. See, it was you. Why would I do that? To create a puzzle you could never solve? You know how many, how many towns, how many John G's or James G's? I mean, shit, Lenny, I'm a fucking John G. Your name's Teddy. My mother calls me Teddy. My name's John Edward Gamble. Cheer up. There's plenty of John G's for us to find. So Memento turns into a story about self-delusion, about the lies we tell ourselves and what our purpose is and what our purpose means. It's the same thing as that conversation he has with Natalie in the diner about uh-huh. the nature of vengeance and does vengeance lose its meaning if you don't remember it. And we start to understand Leonard more clearly that yeah, there is no point to the vengeance well, because th- he doesn't remember it and so he just has to find a reason to keep living. The whole case file thing is sort of a representation of it too. He's taken out the pages that don't fit what he wants. Or just enough where he would never be able to actually solve yeah, yeah. the crime. And it fits his story, which lends to the idea of, well, was there even two attackers? We don't know. Right. It's never answered definitively. Obviously, Teddy helped Leonard kill somebody a year ago, and they <laughs> thought it was John G., but who knows? Teddy, I'm the one that has to live with what you've done. <laughs> which is kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to remember it, so right. who cares? Nolan found it interesting that viewers refuse to believe Teddy when Teddy starts laying everything out in explanation. See, I think that's great, though. Yeah, it it was an unintended consequence, and it works better to muddying the waters. It was partially because of how Teddy acts in the film and then partially because of Pantoliano's history and and the baggage he brings to the character playing disreputable people as a character (laughs) for a long time. But there's really no reason not to believe 
what he says because it fits and makes sense, especially when we see how Leonard acts here in the next few minutes. I do believe everything he says. It's more like the motivations that seem questionable. And also the accuracy. Well, true, yeah. Meaning it's true to him, but there's some stuff that he wouldn't necessarily know all the details about. I think there's potentially lies woven into it, you know, like half the money was going to be for Leonard. (laughs) (laughs) The big moment, though, is this Polaroid that he had already slipped under the door when he was trying to encourage Leonard to answer the phone, when Leonard was going through one of his I can't answer the phone phases, uh-huh. and there was a, an envelope that said answer the phone or take my call, and in the envelope is this Polaroid. It's a dirty, smudged Polaroid of a happy yeah. Leonard pointing at the spot on his chest where at one point I think he told Natalie or somebody that that's where he was going to put the tattoo once he killed the guy. Right, which is another one of those big ones where you're like, well, how does he remember that? <laughs> Oh, how does he remember that that's the decision? I think yeah. he says maybe. He's like, maybe that's for the, no, right, yeah. the place where I'm going to put whatever. Yeah, this lends credence to what Teddy is saying, that there was a moment where, at the very least, Leonard believed he had actually killed the guy, and there was photographic evidence, a picture that Teddy had taken. Now, whether or not that was the guy, who knows? Right. Or if there ever even is another guy. Totally. We don't really know, but at one point, he believed it, and that's all that really mattered. Uh-huh. Except he forgot it. Yeah. And it didn't change anything. And Teddy's just wanted to see him that happy again since then. And the truth is that he never wanted to be done because it was his reason to keep going, to keep avenging his dead wife. Teddy points out that since the name John G. is common, Leonard will cyclically forget and begin his search again, and that even Teddy himself has a John G. name. Especially when you open it up to Jimmy G., too. (laughs) Not just John G. Further, Teddy says that Sammy's story is Leonard's own story, a memory that Leonard has repressed to escape feelings of guilt. Okay, so this is a big bombshell drop. Totally. And I intentionally left something out of when we talked about the black and white scenes because it felt too early and too weird to bring it up. But at the end of his story about Sammy Jenkins, after Sammy accidentally kills his wife with the insulin shots... There's a, a sequence where Sammy is sitting in a mental hospital wearing a robe, just watching the world go by in a chair. Mm. And for a very quick flash, so fast that I definitely didn't notice it, <laughs> who knows how many times until I actually noticed it, where Stephen Tobolowsky is replaced with Guy Pierce and oh, it's yeah. Leonard sitting in the chair very fast. Right. And that's before any of this shit has been talked about with Teddy at the end of the movie. Having Teddy say this to him makes him question everything, and then a memory of him pinching his wife's thigh becomes a memory of him giving her an insulin shot, and then he tries to replace it again with the pinching. I think I'm comfortable enough saying that it's true, Yeah, that his wife did survive the attack, that his wife couldn't live with what had happened to him in this condition and then did this test with the insulin shot and then through conditional memory conditioning and repetition he was able to sort of conjure up this guilt that repressed this and he created this other story which is going out on a limb that is like part i i'm totally with you the confusing part is teddy's answer about that there was at least a sammy jacobs guy but that Sammy Jenkins was a con artist and yeah. a fraud and you exposed him. Yeah. Right. I don't know. 
yeah, that's some of the unknowable part is the truth about yeah, yeah. the real Sammy Jenkins, who that was. I think that because of the way these movies work, like, oh, yeah, it's convenient that Teddy's real name is John G. It's convenient that a guy who gets interrograde amnesia was an insurance investigator who exposed a guy pretending to have it. Right. That's like how all this stuff kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. you know works and fits together. Possibly Sammy Jenkins was a guy who looked like Stephen Tobolowsky. Phil? Phil? <laughs> Ned Ryerson. And then in reality was faking, but because he needed to absolve himself of his own guilt for accidentally killing his own wife he came up with this idea that i never said sammy was faking that this is a real thing because i guess maybe yeah when he exposed it the idea is maybe he thought the whole concept was fake and sammy was faking it right but he realized through his own injury that it wasn't fake i don't know i'm sort of trying to spitball it <laughs> yeah, yeah. together but i don't think we ever really will know the truth about the real sammy jenkins but at a minimum it seems safe to say that the Sammy Jenkins story that's presented to us is really more his story. Yes, more Leonard's sure. story. Yeah. And you can go one step further if you really want to. You can ask the question, was Leonard ever really an insurance investigator? Yeah, yeah. Or was that something he invented to come up with how he would have encountered somebody who had this very specific condition that he doesn't really understand? Right. Who knows? But the idea is... Like all human beings, he lies to himself in a very specific way to make himself feel happy, to feel better. However, when you have this specific condition, the results are much more dramatic and pronounced. For sure. (laughs) Because he has conditioned himself to believe this as the truth, even though technically you would wonder how. How is that possible? Oh, yeah. But he. But. Oh, yeah, he tattooed all this shit on himself. Right. So he has memories, but his memories are fractured, and he remembers his wife in the bathroom with the shower curtain wrapped around her. He remembers the incident, but then the tattoos do the rest. The tattoos say, John G. raped and murdered my wife. The tattoos say, I have to kill this guy, and that fills in the rest of this story. But once we see what he does here in a minute to Teddy and how this this, is, you can piece together how it started where he was like, I'm going to tattoo this shit on myself and create a story. And that story is going to take the place of the truth, which somebody at the mental hospital probably kept telling him like your wife is dead. And then I don't know if somebody would be heartless enough, but he probably was told like she kept doing insulin shots. She kept doing, and then, you know, he would forget that that's what happened. And instead of like living with that, he's now concocted this other thing. And now, because of the tattoos, he believes that she died in the accident. Yeah. It's a revisionist history. <laughs> Honestly, dealing with Leonard is like having a conversation with my parents. Like, <laughs> they just can't remember anything new anymore. <laughs> the amount of times that I have to repeat myself, it's just horrifying. Yeah, I know. Age is a terrible thing. <laughs> After hearing Teddy confess all of this, Leonard burns the photograph of dead Jimmy and also the one of himself from a year earlier after having killed the real attacker, possibly. The one where he's pointing to his chest where he would get a tattoo to document his successful revenge. I think you can allow yourself to believe that there was a second attacker and that they did kill him, but the attacker's did not murder his wife. They raped his wife yeah. and knocked him unconscious. I don't know. As much of a slime ball as Teddy 
seems and is, I don't know why it seems like genuine that what he's saying there is true, that he was the cop. He did believe that there was the second attacker and he helped him track him down and kill him. I just buy it. I don't know. Yeah, it's also the situation where you have no other choice. There's really no other alternative other than he's lying and then you don't know anything. So that's yeah, less fun. I think the alternative <laughs> is that he did come to meet Leonard through this case and everything and then was like, oh, I can use this guy for shit. Like, Yeah, which I, would never even occur to me. Well, yeah, I, but I feel like it would you're be, less of a slime ball. Yeah, but I feel like it would end up being so much work to... I know that Point is true. Point this guy yeah. in these directions, right? Yeah. So the alternatives hold less water for sure. Unless your whole thing was it's hard to get somebody to kill somebody because of guilt, and this guy will never feel guilt. Yeah, because that's he true. won't remember it. I don't know. You're living a dream, kid. A dead wife to pine for. A sense of purpose to your life. A romantic quest that you wouldn't end, even if I wasn't in the picture. I should kill you. Quit it, Lenny. Come on. You're not a killer. That's why you're so good at it. Come on, what are you doing? You know what time it is? It's beer o'clock. I'm buying. Fuck. I'm not a killer. I'm just someone who wanted to make things right. Can I just let myself forget what you've told me? you've made me do. You think I just want another puzzle to solve? Another John G to look for? You're a John G. So you can be my John G. to be happy in your case Teddy yes I will hey hey that's not your car it is now Jesus Christ you can't take it why not because the guy you just killed owns it somebody will recognize it you know, I think I'd rather be mistaken for a dead guy than a killer. I might hang on to this for a while. Lenny. Look, don't let me... Will you help me find the keys? Help me find my keys! Lenny! in a world.
outside my own mind. I have to believe that my actions still have meaning, even if I can't remember them. I have to believe that when my eyes are closed, the world's still there. Do I believe the world's still there? Is it still out there? Yeah. We all need mirrors to remind ourselves who we are. I'm no different. In a monologue, Leonard explains that he is willing to lie to himself in order to get justice against anyone who has wronged him. He therefore targets Teddy by ordering a tattoo of Teddy's license plate number and writing a note on Teddy's picture not to trust him, fully knowing in that moment that he will later be convinced that Teddy is the John G and kill him. Yeah, it's dark. It's a very intentional thing where you realize that Natalie uses him Teddy uses him, and he uses himself uh-huh. in a weird way. He understands that he can use himself in certain ways. Right. Leonard drives off in Jimmy's car, stopping to get that tattoo, setting off the cycle that will culminate in Teddy's death from the beginning of the film. Yeah, it's a good thing Teddy doesn't get eyes on that tattoo. Yeah, although who was thinking about their own license plate number at that exact well, second? Well, that's true, yeah. But yeah... It is such a crazy ending to the film where you realize that he I think has it's set rough. Himself up. It's hard because you have been rooting for Leonard this whole time, and this is pretty dark. Yeah, and not what you're expecting because I think, based on how the movie begins, and you think that Leonard is the hero of the film and he has a legitimate drive for justice, you're totally. thinking, well, this must set up in some way where this motherfucker is the one that raped and murdered his wife. And then you're like, oh, wait, no. There is no <laughs> yeah. answer to that. The whole Jimmy thing, even though it's like, oh, he killed this guy, it's like, well, he's being manipulated. But yeah. now, by the end of the movie, he's making a choice to take Teddy out, basically, to position himself to do this. Right. Which means that Teddy was right in the sense that it all is an illusion that he's built for himself That's right. to live in, to yep. find comfort in, and to escape from the horrors that fell upon him and his wife. Yeah, it's a powerful movie. Yeah. And it's almost breathtaking I think, to think yeah. that this is the second movie and the <laughs> and sort of the first movie that Nolan came That's out right. with. It's crazy. What you've been saying about like it's sort of symbolic of the lies we tell ourselves in general, but also what we do to position ourselves as the hero of our own story. Yeah. It's all about self deception in its various yeah. forms. I still think that Memento when you factor in the budget and the lack of experience and everything else, I still think that you have to consider Memento as one of Nolan's best movies. Yeah, for sure. Because it's just such an accomplishment. He doesn't have the access to all of the huge budgets and everything else he has access to now. This is just pure storytelling done in a way that not only touches on all the things that Nolan loves to touch on, because he's obviously obsessed with time memory, dreams, things of that nature, but it does it in a way that's so original and it incorporates the detective noir story. Yeah. Every aspect of it is unconventional. The only thing I would say is 
and this is a very minor complaint because I think this is a nearly perfect film, but I would say that it runs close to two hours. It's like an hour and 50 something. I think there's like a little bit of monotony in there that you could probably cut cut like a, a few minutes out of this. Sure. Yeah. Make it a little tighter. Yeah. Because like I said, there's a few loops in there where you're just like, okay, well, this is how he gets this. This is how he gets that. I know that you have to do all the steps, but you probably could have like combined a couple of those things real quick. Yeah. Or something. I don't think it's bad though. No. No, not at all. By the way, like if you and I had our police files out right now, how much of a scalpel would we be taking to those things? Just ripping pages out <laughs> with Leonard's condition. What would be in our police files? Well, though? I'm just as a a representation of our lives. Oh, okay. <laughs> Redacted, just all over the place. I know that people have asked in the past for us to do our different rankings. I think we probably talked about this on the Prestige yeah. episode that we did, but. I still don't really want to get into that yet with Nolan. There's still potentially more at. stuff we're going to yeah. do with him. I really have to think. I mean, he has just so many great films. Well, no, I know we're not prepared, so we're definitely yeah, yeah. not doing No, it. no, I know. I'm just saying that there's a reason why we're still holding off. I know we've, we haven't done that a ton with different directors, but... This is a great example of something that's like, Memento has been out of sight, out of mind for me for quite some time, and then you dive in and it's, well, yeah, this is one of his best movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's tough. He's... A master craftsman. All right, so I think that'll tie a bow on Memento. I know it's a, like probably a little disjointed and confusing. It's a hard movie to do in the format that we do shows in, so we tried our best. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little think, confusing. Yeah, yeah. I think that we did. We handled this better than Inception. Well, that's not saying much. Yeah. Inception will definitely be a, a revisited someday. Yeah, we gotta with, with a new approach. We gotta take that over again. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Shane. By the way, he reached out and he said he he liked the after hours episode. So all right, sort of a shock there. Yeah. Well, they're all gold in their own way. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to Shane for the listener request. We have a couple more coming up this year. Eric and Bill. If you have never given us a listener request before, feel free to send one in. We'll make it work at some point. Although at this point, I can't guarantee it would be in 2022, which I know sounds crazy, but Eric's is going to be in November. Bill's is going to be in December. We have a ton of other stuff. We're trying to calculate our March to episode 300, so it may be next year at this point, but whatever. If you got one, send it to us. If you've already sent one in before and we've already done it, then just hold off for right now. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Let's jump into recommendations. I have one that sort of fits in this same idea. It's a television program on Peacock, which I just started watching randomly, and I got sucked into it. It's a Peacock original, so make of that what you will. The creator of the program is one of the writers of Palm Springs, the movie starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Malati. I think is how you say her name. I'll take it, yeah. Where they're stuck in a time loop. It's sort of right. like yes, yes. Groundhog Day and the whole thing. It was a Hulu movie. 
This sort of plays in that same universe. It also stars Kristen Malati with William Jackson Harper. There's a few other people, some that you would recognize, like Nick Offerman. The one kid is in Licorice Pizza, whatever. Okay. It takes place at a resort. It's a married couple played by Malati and Harper who are on their 10th wedding anniversary. They're kind of on the rocks a little bit. Who knows if they're going to get a divorce. They go to this resort in Mexico, and she accidentally finds an old Razor cell phone that belonged to a kid who disappeared 15 years ago in 2007. And there was a girl that also disappeared too, and they get sucked into this mystery. Even though nothing inherently supernatural has happened yet, it seems like it's potentially going to go there. I only okay. have like one episode left, I think. It, it hasn't aired yet, but it, it'll air Which by the Which will be time. the last episode of... Yeah, I think the, it's okay. only going to be eight episodes. But by the time we post this, I think the whole thing will sure. be posted. I don't know. Is it funny? Not really. But the episodes do manage to end with cliffhangers that keep you sucked in. There's a mystery at the center of it. It jumps back and forth in time. So you see... I say kids, but they're like college kids. College kids from like 2007 and then their story. And then it's cross cut with the modern day and then okay. figuring stuff yeah. out. And Well, I like that style. And then it's all seemingly going to come to some sort of a conclusion or, or whatever here. And I think there will be some kind of a time thing or a supernatural thing. So it's not too dissimilar to Palm Springs or even Memento, if you will, in some sense. But I've been enjoying it. A lot of people compare those two things, Palm Springs and Memento. So if you've been looking for a show and you don't really know what to watch, I I would check out The Resort on Peacock and see if you like it. Yeah. All right. Let's just go with that. No more? Nah. You know, I've been not home a lot lately, so. (laughs) All right. So that'll do it. Follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts. Podbean, etc. If you'd like a free sticker, let us know and we will send it to you for free. All you have to do is send us a DM or whatever and we'll get those deets. Give us a rating and review. We really appreciate it. We love reading reviews from people. If, yeah. if Even if you don't want to do that, just tweet at the show. Let us know you're out there listening. We love hearing from people. It's great. Love the uh, engagement. It's the only thing really keeping this afloat yeah, at yeah. this point. Keep it, yeah, just a slight pulse left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, find us on Letterboxd. I'm at Zach1983, Z-A-C-H-1983. And he's at Matt Crosby, M-A-T-T-C-R-O-S-B-Y. You can see what we're watching and follow along. It's a fun social media app. If you watch a lot of movies... You have to sort of just start following a bunch of people, and then hopefully they follow you back, and then you you kind of get it's something going. A whole game, though. I know, dude. It's annoying. I just had one where they did the move where they followed me and then unfollowed me. So I, you know, of course, did the right thing and unfollowed them back. And then I just got the follower request again today. Oh God. Yeah. Really. I don't know. I don't know what to make of some of these people. They want to like create a thing where they look like there's some influencer of film. Yeah, <laughs> like, they get yeah. they have a ton of followers, but they don't follow that many people. It's such a stupid game. Yeah, seriously. No one cares about Letterbox. Thank You're you. You're not gonna become a thing from Letterbox. Yeah, yeah. 
the, the people who have become things are hated. <laughs> <laughs> They're despised people. Yeah, really. Because there's nothing worse than everyone else seeing your opinion. Because <laughs> then you're open to ridicule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's fun, though. I don't post that many reviews anymore, and now I get, like, a third of the amount of likes that I used to get. Yeah, yeah. I, I, People I just, just like, get over it. It's like, who cares yeah, yeah. anymore? I love the app, though, for, like, the logging and tracking and stuff. It is nice. Yeah. If you watch a lot of movies, if you only watch, like, one a week or something, it's probably not going to be a life changer. In it's any not a way, rewarding experience. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll come back soon next week as we march along. Anything else about Memento? No, I think we tied it up nicely. All right. Talk to you next time. Take back the weed. Take back the cocaine, baby. Take back the pill. Take back the whiskey, too. Don't need it now. Your love was all I was after. I'll make it now. But I can get off on you. I can buy a little or nothing at all I know And I can get high just thinking about you And so Take back the weed Take back the cocaine, baby Take back the pill Take back the whiskey, too I don't need it now Your love's all I was after I'll make it now, but I can get off on you. Who would have thought this was something that I'd ever do? I'm working it out, mellowing out on you. Take back the weed, take back the cocaine, baby. Take back the pill, take back the whiskey too. Don't need it now, your love was all I was after. Well, I'll make it now, but I can get off on you. Take back the weed, take back the cocaine, baby. Take back the pill, take back the whiskey too. What are you doing with your hand? How Whoa. dare you? Get your hand off my wife's ample but firm backside. Thank you, darling.